Hello, friends and folks, and welcome back to another episode of Refresh Rate, Scanlane Media's media check-in podcast. I am Six Detmar. I'm Jennifer Uncle. And I'm Kyrie Page, and there's uh, it's a media landscape, and we're just the cultivators, the excavators, or whatever, whatever you want to call us. Topographers. Sure. Actually, I guess that's that's listen. Abnormal mapping kind of's got that one locked down. Yeah, they kind of. Yeah, that's kind of like their whole thing, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just just mapping out the whole landscape, just figuring it out. Abnormally. What's this Gundam thing? Never heard of it. Let me make it into a texture. <laughs> what is normal mapping? I don't. I mean, that's I a, hear the term, I, but like, yeah, like I. Is it related to bump mapping? I'm not. Oh, alone. it. Oh, yes, it is. It is. It uh-huh. is a implementation of bump mapping. It is when you use textures to imitate depth. Oh. Mm-hmm. So like. Okay. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Video yeah. games. Now more than ever, don't expect to like them. I'm just gonna keep stealing that from them. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this is actually a, a pretty video game heavy one. This is all media is sort of the, the premise of this podcast. We can show up with a book, we can show up with a movie, we can show up with a pamphlet we particularly enjoyed. But this time it's it's all games all the time, though one of them has some overlap with a non-video game game. Jen, you've been checking out MLB The Show 23. Basically, this year, like, I, for the longest time, I couldn't really go to baseball games and sit there for long periods of time, just because of the way my particular autism was. It was, uh, much worse when I was smaller, like, to the point where I once went to a Texas Rangers game and threw the opening pitch there and, uh, did it better than a few presidents, but (laughs) while I was there at the game I threw the opening pitch at, Around the halfway mark, I just couldn't be there anymore, so the parents took me home, and, uh, yeah. Which made it all the more, like, we, so for your birthday, we went to go, actually go see a baseball game, and your parents were quite surprised that we, we made that suggestion. Yeah, like, I don't know what it is, maybe it's just, like, seeing mutual friend Molly tweet about a baseball ton, maybe it just... Maybe just being around other people on social media or just seeing friends talk about it. Seeing seeing you six write about various baseball games and just your experience watching games. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I decided this year I'm going to start watching Orioles and Nationals games. And uh, so far it's been going pretty well. And uh, maybe it's maybe it's the pitch clock, but it's easier for me to just sit in a game and just think, oh yeah, this is like two to three hours long. It'll be fine. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, your intention, your attention span gets better as you get older. I think also, you know, some some other you know conditioning and stuff happens. For me, like one of the key things that helped me get a better attention span was moving to a place where it took minimum fifteen minutes to reach anything. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, I've learned to wait. Um, and yeah, I think you're right. It is an essential skill in baseball. <laughs> oh yeah, because you are just even the players are mostly just. <laughs> What was it? There is a um, there was a video by John Boys in which he talked about like all baseball involves a lot of standing around, and there was one guy who basically would either strike out or home run, or uh, get it was like a three true outcomes like sort mm-hmm. of player, and um, did he did some rough math and basically this one player wasted millions of dollars by way of just having the outfield just stand there and do nothing. <laughs> I think it also helped that uh, I I basically signed up for YouTube TV's free trial uh, for a few days just so that I could watch the uh, Home Run Derby and the All-Star Game. And uh, just seeing some of the personalities on display from people batting like... Uh, Ashley Rutschman, who plays for the Orioles, and Randy Rosarina, who <laughs> had this great thing whenever he was, whenever he was doing the home run derby, and also just seems to do it during games where he'll just do this very exaggerated um, folding his arms situation to the point where when someone beat him at the home run derby, they did it back to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it made you want to check out baseball video games which had you tried them before yeah i've i've tried them every once in a while like when i was a kid i was big into backyard baseball like uh it was the perfect blend of uh, arcadey and also just thinking about okay here's a good player here's a bad player i want to avoid and here's the best places to put them it, it was good at getting you to think about it without you worrying too much about oh i have to study strategy and everything but uh yeah and uh, occasionally I would play the show at uh, my cousin's house. And whenever I did that, I would give up pretty quickly because the show, at least back then for me, was a very demanding game to a degree that Madden or any of the NBA games never are in terms of the mechanics. Like, turns out it's really fucking hard to hit a baseball, <laughs> especially hit a baseball in a home run. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, as they've started go to Game Pass recently, I have downloaded the annual one every once in a while just to mess around with it. Um, most recently I downloaded 23 just because, uh, well, my primary reason initially for getting it before the baseball bug quite got me was, uh, it was interesting to see a whole story mode around the Negro Leagues, um, and just getting into the history of that, like, uh. They, yeah, the presentation behind that thing is, like, really something. Yeah, like, they have a museum director just telling all these sorts of stories next to uh, various um, illustrations, and then they just pull you in, and uh, suddenly the crowd is wearing a bunch of period piece clothing and all that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. The main thing I focused on, though, once the baseball bug actually bit me, was... Uh, and will be the show's uh, Road to October mode, which is like a... It's a good mix of franchise and arcade situation, because 
essentially what that mode does is it never makes you play through a full game unless you're pitching. It uh, is basically choosing various moments that they can put you into a specific game. Just being like, okay, the score is this and this. You're starting at the sixth or the seventh inning, and you either need to hold on to your lead or make a comeback after things go wrong. And uh, mm -hmm. based on how well you do in that, it uh, either puts you on a hot streak or a cold streak, which then determines uh, how you're doing for the rest of the season. Like, uh, and around my third game, I decided to, like, you know, trying to play this well is interesting, but I think I'd have a much better time if I just set everything to amateur and kind of slammed it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I chose, uh, Orioles who are ranked as the underdog in the, I chose the Orioles who are ranked as a underdog class within the show. And, uh, I... Basically created a franchise record by getting them 121 wins in a season. <laughs> That's a lot of wins. Yep. How many uh, How many games are in a season six? If uh, just the regular season, not postseason, every team plays 162 games. That's Which is why the Road to October exists, is to be like, hey, you can, we already have modes. We've had modes for a long time where you can play the entire baseball season. You're not going to make it. <laughs> you're gonna get tired of this it's gonna take you like an actual year to play through like a year of baseball yeah and yeah. there's something about the way that uh it puts you in like half of the game or when you're pitching you only you only basically go up when it's the opposing team's half of the inning um there's something about that that felt very bite-sized and manageable to me but even though like I got so into it that uh, instead of just sitting down and being like, I'll, I'll advance a game or two, it'll be fine. I would be there for three hours just being like, yeah, I'm just knocking down win after win after win. But uh, I got to the point where, okay, I cleared the season hurdle to get into the postseason games, the October games. And uh, mm -hmm. I did it well enough that I'm not part of the wild card. I go through the various uh, pennant leagues and uh, get to the World Series. I win like uh, four to one or something. And uh, yeah, you, they do the little trophy situation. And then after I feel like I've actually finished everything, it's just like, okay, yeah, do it again for next season. <laughs> and there was just something so deflating about the fact that yeah, I got through the World Series, I won the World Series, and then it's just like, okay, yeah, you should try and do it again. <laughs> you have to take all these characters and bring them forward. I mean, I think part of the concept of the Road to October as a mode is it's kind of, it's practically a roguelike mode, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And when you set the rogue, like, I also play on not a super hard difficulty in MLB The Show, but... If you play a roguelike mode on super easy, I just don't know how much you're going to get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, it might be, like, would it be, I guess the question, Jen, is, like, do you think you'd get more out of it if you played it at a higher difficulty, or what? what is deflating about it? I think the only deflating thing about it is that, like, there's no, there's no 
finale to it. There's no proper end to what's happening. Like, it's not really a roguelike mode so much as it is, like, when you finish it, it tells you, hey, you should really take the team you've built here and move them to franchise mode. But if you don't want to, you can just move them to another Road to October situation that's just going to run through again. Like, mm-hmm. the thing that doesn't really make it a roguelike is that you are trading players and scouting players and all that through Road to October, and those changes go with you to the next season and the season after that. Like, I was approaching this expecting some sort of proper end, but it's more of a on-ramp to franchise mode or a light franchise mode. And that's also the thing that I realized about the career mode, where you basically build a player and you get them out of the minor leagues and into the major leagues and all that. Like a lot of it just seems to be built into pulling you into franchise mode. And I'm just not interested in franchise mode at all. Because I was just thinking like, Oh, Jed, it sounds like you need an even deeper simulation where like you need to start playing like baseball manager Sims. Oh no, I would hate that. (laughs) (laughs) I, I had multiple situations during Road to October games where um, the coach would recommend, okay, you should probably substitute this person on base with a designated runner. And uh, after that half of the ending was done, the game would be like, hey, do you want to put him back where they're supposed to be in the baseball situation? (laughs) And uh, there were a few times where I lost track of who who was switched with who. So I just did a little bit I did a little bit of musical chairs with the lineup and the the commentators would come back and be like, I don't know why they put the th- third baseman over in the outfield, but we'll see what happens. Interesting strategy there. And I'd be like, fuck. <laughs> Not unprecedented, you know? I mean, like, sometimes when, when it, well, I think the thing that's weird is you did it when you were doing well. Usually this is a thing that when things are going bad, suddenly it's like, oh, and uh, oh, we've put this player. Okay, I guess, oh, the first baseman is going to be pitching for a while. Like, it's like, mm, okay. Well, the thing that confused me is that, like, I thought I was only substituting for, like, a stand-in runner. And that's always what the coach was asking for. But by the mechanics they use to switch someone out, on base as they're doing their runs like also switches them into the actual role on the team and that's not what i'm trying to do yeah designated runner is like a rule you can use to swap someone's position but it's not actually a position on like the active roster right you don't have separate slots for people just to run if you take someone out of first base whoever's replacing them is the new first baseman Mm. okay yeah that makes more sense And there are sort of ways you can game that system, right? Like, you can, like, it is possible to do things. I I guess I don't know the current state of these rules because Mm -hmm. there have been some changes and I don't pay the most attention to those. But, like, you could do something like move a pitcher to the outfield for a little while, right? So that you can still use them and move them back because they haven't left the game. But, like, once someone's out, they're out. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, uh, because I'm I'm not a big fan of pinch hit pinch hitters and pinch runners, right? Or desi- uh, or you know designated hitters and designated runners and all of that. Well, designated runner isn't a thing, but um, 
but it is a system that like there are some checks and balances to keep you from hiring like just you know usain bolt as a baseball player right Mm -hmm. Uh, speaking of like getting the best players or whatever i guess there was one upside to the fact that it uh just rolled over to the next season um it came time for scouting for the next year and uh Shohei Otani was looking for someone to go to, and because I could just be like, hey, we're the best goddamn team in baseball right now, um, I was able to easily meet his bonus, and I got to see Shohei Otani in Noriel's uniform. <laughs> yeah, you know, that can that can be the, the fun of it, and that's, you know, obviously, Orioles doing pretty well this season, actually. They're uh, currently leading uh, AL East, so they... Uh, you know, if they keep this pace up, they are going to end up in the, you know, in the postseason, in the playoffs. But uh, I don't think we're going to see Shohei Otani in an Orioles jersey. It's probably going to be Yankees or Dodgers or Mets. Yeah, the Yankees could sure use him right now. <laughs> the Yankees, the deserve Yankees nothing. could use a kick in the fucking face. Fuck the Fuck Yankees. Oh, the Patriots need, like, a, a real boost, huh? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I guess the other fun thing about getting into baseball was just catching up on the controversy behind the Astros and just finding it incredibly funny during the All-Star game when the Astros would go up to bat and even the people who were rooting for that specific All-Star side just started booing the shit out of them. It is a thing, right? For For anyone who doesn't know, um, the Astros uh, won a World Series um, and cheated during it. Uh, you can't really accuse them of cheating to win the World Series because then they went to another and won it without cheating. Um, but, Kyrie, do you know how they cheated? Do you know this this story? I believe it involved someone in the stands drumming or something like that. You, you you're you're on the right track. So they had basically spy cameras catching the signs that the uh, catcher would do to the pitcher to tell them what pitch to throw. And whenever they they gave a sign for a fastball, they would have someone in their dugout start beating a trash can with a baseball bat. <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of those things where like that that why didn't we catch them exactly <laughs> why did it take <laughs> now, now the drumming thing here's the thing the reason like i had heard that and no lie that is a plot point later in the season in uh one out is that there's a team cheating by way of a dude in the stands who drums at specific pa- in specific patterns when he reads the call it's amazing yeah. it's amazing that the MLB didn't catch on to that for a while, but uh, there's been a bunch of controversy around so-called sticky stuff on pitchers' hands. I mean, that one took a while to for for it to fire up, and it's. I mean, that also there's historical precedent for that, mm-hmm. right? Like back in the dead ball era, there was some shit that people would do to those baseballs to try and make them fly weird. And uh, so there is history on their side and they know how to deal with this. Mm. But yeah, um, I haven't played as much 23 as I would like, just partially because I have a character from 20 that I still haven't, that you can't 
um, they drew a line, I believe, between 21 and 22 because of the way they changed their systems and you couldn't import your character anymore. Mm -hmm. And I just am having a hard time leaving my uh, my knuckleballer behind. I had a really good time with that character. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it may try and push you into franchise mode. I certainly it's not I've tried it. It's not a mode that's ever really appealed to me and I've had plenty of fun. Without it, I would say part of the, if you can get in the right mindset, part of the fun of career mode and MLB the show is the lack of control. Because, I mean, we've mentioned Shohei Otani, who is, you know, a future Hall of Famer for sure, the best player in baseball right now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the Angels are currently over 500, which is nice for me. Um, we're dead in the middle of the AL West, which is not the scariest league in baseball we're not very good Mm. um and baseball is a sport where one star cannot carry you two stars cannot because we also have the second best player in baseball when he's not injured god damn it mike trout um it's just not enough and so as part of that in career mode even if you have the difficulty set to easy and you're like damn i'm just you know i'm i'm you know, even if you wanted to play Shohei Otani, a two-way player, right, where you're, you know, you're creating a Shohei Otani, where every time you pitch, it's a strike, and every time you swing, it's a home run, you're still going to lose games. Yeah, this... Because the rest of the team exists. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the rest of that just kind of comes out in the wash. Like, it's... It is, like, it's unlike a sport like, say, almost any other sport. You could have that one transformative, like, player... And just completely change the trajectory of your entire franchise. Um, baseball seems immune to this. It's very funny, actually, because I have a good example of that with my knuckleballer. Because I started this character on MLB The Show 19. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just a character who has... So the knuckleball is a pitch where you throw it as close to with no spin as possible, right? Mm-hmm. This makes it slower. But also, more importantly, because it's spinning, it gives it almost no air resistance. And so any, like, slight movement of the wind changes where the ball goes. Which is what makes it so hard to hit, is because you they throw it and you're like, I don't know where the fuck this thing is going to go, right? It could break uh, at any moment. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And in any direction, basically. Um, and MLB The Show... Slightly less now in 23, but certainly in 19 and 20 and 21, uh, allowed you to make a character who was a knuckleballer with really good control, (laughs) which is fucking broken. It's basically like you pick where you want the ball to end and its path between your hand and there is randomized, which is fucking ridiculous. (laughs) Uh, To this day, if you try to create a character in MLB The Show 23... You pick you pick pitcher and you're like, what kind of pitcher do you want to be? And you say a knuckleballer. A pop up says M- knuckleballers are banned in PvP. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the way you describe it makes it sound like uh, Hitman physics, where forty seven will throw an axe, and even if the NPC like takes a corner, the axe will just follow them across the corner. To a certain extent, yeah. Um, and so I had a knuckleballer. I you know have this character who is like. Just about every every game they play is a shutout. They have multiple perfect games a season. They're just a monster, right? Mm-hmm. Um, got drafted to the Toronto Blue Jays, and it was like, okay, every time, like, 
every time I pitch, we're going to win, right? Um, unless you pull me early like an idiot, which happens occasionally. Um, but we still ended up like a, a, a positive record, but we didn't make the playoffs, right? And the start of the next season, I get traded to the Rangers. And I'm like, you trade me? Are you out of your fucking mind? And then I played them and I saw what they got for their trade. And I was like, oh, you traded me for like an army of people. You're a good team now. <laughs> so that's why I recommend that's part of why if you feel that it was too easy, I recommend the career mode is because however good your player is, you are still kind of just a leaf on the wind in a way that I think is very enjoyable. Okay, yeah, that that sounds interesting to me. And just reflective of how the real sport plays out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if Shohei Otani ends up in a Dodgers jersey, I'm going to kill everyone in this room and then myself. Good thing we're not in a room. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's just me. Oh no. It's <laughs> his trick. Ugh. <sighs> Baseball, huh? Baseball. It was fun going to that game. Um, it was Orioles versus the Marlins, I think. Yeah. It was fun. We won. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah, it, w- it was fun to see a home run, even though, like, uh, we were... I forget the name of the exact seating area we were in, but uh, basically the little roof of uh, the area we were in kind of cut the ball off as it went above a certain area. So it kind of disappeared and reappeared, but it was still really cool. Yeah. It's also moving so fast that even if you're out there, often it's hard to track, but all right. Well, from, from baseball to the dungeon, uh, Kiri, you've been, uh, you've been messing around with EQ five, the sky watcher EQ five telescope, right? Absolutely. I've just been gazing at the stars with this little bad boy. How have you been enjoying its deluxe equatorial mount and tripod? It is so smooth <laughs> and so easy to set up. Why the fuck is it EQ when it's an O? It's Etrian Odyssey. a fancy L. <laughs> Not true. Okay, if it was a fancy L, there's still no L in the phrase Etrian Odyssey, Jennifer. I said fancy O. Okay, it sounded like you said L. Listener writing. 
You just gotta hold that L6, because we're talking about Etrian Odyssey 5. Alright, alright. Beyond the myth. Um, yeah, so... I... I... I don't normally, like... When I, when I think of, like, challenging games, I, like, think about... I like entering, like, challenging PvP scenarios. That's why I like playing fighting games. But very often, I don't necessarily love playing challenging video games. Um, it's just one of those things of getting older, of just like, oh, I just do not have the time to mess with this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Etrian Odyssey... A, a does not flip that switch for me i love these games um and it all kind of started with etrian odyssey 4 uh legend of the titan which that was like a really approachable really easy to get into version of that game that was still certainly challenging and with you know the eShop shutting down i went on and i hacked the 3ds it's very easy to do uh and got Adrian Odyssey 5, which I hadn't played. And that game, I've been having just, like, a really wonderful time with it. Because it allowed, like, more than before, you actually have the ability to customize what each of the party members look like and sound like. And not just, like, change their names, you know? Mm. Like... Have out of curiosity, have either of you two like like what what is your stance on changing the names of characters in RPGs when you play them? I mean, it depends on how narrative heavy a game is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say the same thing. Like, I especially now that I have like story game a story game podcast I'm on, right? I'm not going to change the name of the character in I don't for example, Persona, right? Because it's like, well, then I have conversations about it and we're not using the same, you know, name and it becomes difficult, right, Um, to have the conversation. Also, sometimes you have moments where they have a plot beat around the character's name and yet still around allow you to change it. And it's like, okay, well, this is stupid. Why did you do this? Um, So, yeah, if it's story heavy, I won't change it. Um, If it doesn't matter, sure, I'll change a name. What about you, Jen? I pretty much feel the same way. Like, uh, I'm not going to go changing the names of uh, characters from Chrono Trigger or Final Fantasy X or whatever, but uh, I'll happily... I'll, I'll happily change it if it's, like, providing me a very scratch interpretation of what the character is. Like, totally fine naming all my party members in something like Final Fantasy One. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Final Fantasy 1, there are no, like, set names for, like, the different classes. Or at least in that original NES release, mm. I believe. Like, um, although, I, I like, I know you also, like, you change the character of the hero in Dragon Quest, which Dragon Quest, I think the default name for the hero in each one is just hero. Um, yeah, but mm. also in that one, no one really refers to you by name. <laughs> <laughs> At least in Dragon Quest Eleven, mm-hmm. which is a game that I do want to try at some point. Um, my, I guess my pol- my policy like lines up with YouTube as well. Like if, if I'm playing Chrono Trigger, like kind of by myself, I will definitely play like keep the character names. But 
I've also played that game a bunch of times, so sometimes I will just change the name kind of for fun. Um, like, I remember one LP had a pretty funny example of renaming um, Arlie, uh, her, what's her name? Uh, the this caveman this cave woman right from the prehistoric era just five exclamation marks in a row and that was like that made some fun tech stuff happen anyway i guess my point is like i remember years ago like going to a friend's house playing final fantasy 7 and they had actually name renamed red 13 to my name and i remember like just that simple thing of being like being able to get that much more engaged by it would I was just the observer. And with Etrian Odyssey 5, like I decided to name the entire party after like after y'all, basically. And it is so funny how because of the way that game is set up and how the characters you choose, like Knowing you personally has changed my perspective on that character and is like, oh yeah, Six would totally do this in this scenario. Even though, like, you have had the only influence Six you've had on the game is just changing the character in the way they look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something special about uh, taking a single player RPG and going, I'm going to bring my friends with me by just naming these various. Uh, fantasy characters after them. Um, it, it's interesting because, like, you take a look at uh, other RPGs like Neverwinter Nights and their whole idea was like, we're going to create this whole online network situation where you're basically just playing a D&D campaign, but with a computer amongst a bunch of people. But you see single-player focus games like this where... They do still want that element of uh, pen and paper role-playing just by being, like... A lot of the story here is very light touch so that you can just fill in the gaps yourself. And uh, they also want you to pick the names yourself because they do expect a lot of people just to put their friends' names in there and go on an adventure with them. Yeah, Etrian Odyssey especially because like Final Fantasy 1, like, it does not prefab any of the names. Like, So how it works if you haven't played any of these games is that there, you have a selection of classes, and in EO4, you choose also the race of the character, but also you can choose like their portraits, change their eye color, change hair color, and a couple of other options, and voice calls as well. Like they, You can choose a voice bank for each of the characters, and that level of customizability has been like just really fun and makes the game like for me even more immediately engaging um because like of the little micro stories that play out through gameplay or the little prefabricated like little story beats like for example at one point like at one point in the first stratum of the dungeon there is a snapping turtle that has a big like gold coin under their belly and me and the character I named Harry basically get into this fight with this turtle who keeps snapping at our fingers. And Six is, was the only one who was like, what if we just pick up the turtle and pick up the coin? Um, and that is how we got the coin. Sensible solutions. That's why I'm here. 
<laughs> um, other things I really liked about this game, like customizability wise, was um, being able to give like there's obviously a set of masculine and feminine like voice banks, and I like found it like empowering to myself to name my character Kyrie, but also give them a deeper voice. And also, like, that in and of itself became an expression of how I move about this game. And it's, like, it's little touches like those that I think, like, like this makes a game, like, really special. Like, I remember, Six, like, remember when you were having that problem with, like, dungeon encounters? hmm I think what EO5 does that's really good is by drafting enough of a line for you to fill in the blanks but you still have a pretty detailed picture to work off of to begin with well and i could have used some encounters like a snapping turtle right Mm -hmm. literally through in my my time with dungeon encounters which as a as a refresher here let me pull up uh dungeon encounters uh three and a half hours not a crazy amount of time but in that amount of time, I did not have a single thing happen that was not either, like, it was pretty much entirely random encounters that had no preamble and no post-amble. It was just, you know, the the screen distorted, there were enemies, I hit them, they were gone. Right. There was no color. Right. And in 5, what you get is, like, whenever I select, like randomly like during battles like one of the characters will do a voice mark and it's like that just adds so much more personality to it also real quick just go through the party composition for those care i am playing the fencer uh our friend harry is the pugilist jennifer is the necromancer the really large chested necromancer i (laughs) swear (laughs) retinia just cut out here yeah goals yeah uh alan as the rover who is the um kind of like hunter with a uh bird and a wolf companion then u6 as the botanist it's just been really fun and really like it's enjoyable and also the difficulty is like i think part of it with like etrian odyssey's like difficulty and it's sort of like there's a culture of difficulty around it and it is hard to be clear but it's one of those things where you can't just like mash a to get through an encounter like you really gotta think about you know how does the team you know composition work together what spells do you set up beforehand what status effects can you apply to the big foes and i think that once you kind of get into its rhythm, it, like, is a lot easier than you'd expect. I feel like one of the problems I, you know, the problem I had with, with Dungeon Encounters, right, is once I started trying to get into the mindset of, like, characterizing and stuff, I ended up just feeling like, I wish I was playing a tabletop RPG. Mm-hmm. Is is there, are you feeling any tension there? I think there is a little bit of that, because... You know, the the snapping turtle thing was, of course, like, that is a prefabricated bit. Um, but I think 
that there is light enough role-playing that, you know, it's it's light enough so that you're filling it in with your imagination, but also at the same time, like, you still kind of need the game to be there, because I think um, a lot of its expression is how mechanically dense it is, um, mm-hmm. because you then get to make, you know, skill point assignments, and... In those skill point assignments, you can give each of the um, members of your party a distinct personality, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like is Alan the Rover, are they the type of person who would, you know, spec into, you know, having the wolf friend be more powerful than the eagle? The answer I decided on was the wolf and eagle are going to be equally statted out. Right. And that's a unique expression of how I view that character or like, is my character going to focus on certain elemental types or certain attack types? Right. And I think there is enough there that it is something that is uniquely expressed within entry and Odyssey systems that you can't necessarily get through just playing a t- you know, a tabletop RPG with your friends, which Still a good time, obviously, to play a tabletop RPG with friends, right? But mm-hmm. Entry and Odyssey, I think, does enough that it justifies itself as a game that doesn't necessarily make me think, oh, I'd rather just be doing the TTRPG stuff with my friends. That's good. All right. That's, you know, the appreciable difference for me. You know, I have a lot of friends who speak very highly of Dungeon Encounters. Some days I'll have to figure, I'll have to have them tell me what the hell they see in it, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. This conversation also made me think of, uh, it reminded me of Voice of Cards, which is a interesting midpoint between Etrian Odyssey and something like Dungeon Encounters. Like, it's a, it's a game where the presentation is a lot more stripped away, but uh, the way they present it with a field of cards uh, on a wooden table and a... Basically, a single narrator speaking everyone's voices and just talking you through the whole game, occasionally just throwing a quick line or two at you, the player. It it does an interesting job of making you feel like you're in this person's session, but uh, I also feel like those little flourishes, at least on the Switch, were sometimes to its detriment, just because it meant that uh, certain actions, like getting into a battle or just making a turn could take a lot of time i forgot you played that Did you ever finish that i did not know i think i got to like the 60 to 70 percent uh completion in it and then other stuff was happening and i was kind of in an area where it was getting repetitive for me so i kind of just dropped it gotcha and they did a big dlc for that i think they actually released three games (laughs) okay sure yeah they released like two more in the same engine i believe yeah because you can't, because it's just cards at that point. I guess it's like, well, we just have the artist draw new card art in a survey. Obviously, development is way more complicated than that. I am vastly oversimplifying it. Also, they did have to, like, make this person read out hours and hours of, uh, like, narration and character voices and stuff. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Might be interesting to check back in on that at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially, like, I feel like you'd get a lot out of it out of it six, uh just maybe on something that performs a bit better than the Switch and maybe when it's on sale. 
Yeah, I'm a big Yoko Taro fan, so. Uh, for anyone listening at home, that was sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you, um, I would say, like, also just real quick, if you are interested in Etrian Odyssey, like, if what I've talked about interests you, four and five are good places to start. Like, each of the games are kind of disconnected stories and disconnected settings, so you can just kind of pick and choose, but I think four and five so far, like four is, I think, the most approachable one um, of that I've played, but five is also very approachable. Right. Cool. Yeah. They also had like remakes of one and two on the 3DS that uh, give them a little bit more story. If if you'd like to be eased into Etrian Odyssey's, uh, like, if you'd like to be eased into their lack of story somewhat or like their their purposeful blank leaving <laughs> that's mm-hmm. a bad way of putting it that is yeah. kind of mm-hmm. a bad way to put it. that's fine um i can't speak too much about millennium girl and the fafnir knight but um but they are like like i said it's easy and it's free to hack your 3ds now you can just do it <laughs> it's funny look looking over at kyrie as she scrolled through the entries um i was not aware there they were releasing these annually at a certain point and uh mm-hmm. just seeing that i was like oh okay the etrian odyssey was never quite as dead as people talked about during the first few years of the switch just because like they had six games in a row back to back of Etrian Odyssey and only took like a five year break. Seven. Well, yeah. Uh yeah, like basically from twenty twelve to twenty eighteen there was a new entry, and that's wild. One of the entries never came out officially in English, I believe though. Mystery Dungeon Two, which mm. is like Etrian Mystery Dungeon is the mashup of the Mystery Dungeon and Etrian Odyssey stuff. Like I didn't mess with that because I've never really been into the Mystery Dungeon format, but you know it's out there. Sure. Wow, sure. There's a, there's a lot more Etrian Odyssey spinoffs than I realized, or like mashups because there was also those two Persona um, Etrian Odyssey games. Oh yeah, Persona Q. Um, those two are also pretty good games. Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, I think Q two is is definitely the better game. It has a lot of really cool systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if you're interested in that style of play and not necessarily the high fantasy, like PQ two is really good. Mm-hmm. Also, the cheapy Goro Ketchy is very cute in that game. Okay, well there it is, folks. Well, I guess we're gonna get into Jen's fetish talk again. God. Oh boy. <laughs> Tiny uh, Goro. Now she's turning into a dolphin to escape the accusations. <laughs> Six, speaking of high fantasy. Uh-huh. Yeah. What have you um, been messing with? Well, so we have another podcast uh called Battle Crow. It's Nick and I. It's one of our patron podcasts, one dollar a month. Where um, Battle Crow is a is a vari- co- I would say a comedy variety show. That's how I try to pitch it, right? With mm-hmm. Nick and I, is just eclectic sense of humor for anywhere from you know like fifty to ninety minutes generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and as part of our our particular sensibilities, we were like, hey, we should do a version of we should do a show for our Patreon 
what if we tried to make our jobs harder? That was basically the premise, right? Was just make it harder to talk. Um, so Battle Crow is a show we do recording a podcast while playing a multiplayer game. And recently we were like, hey, all right, we need to do one for this month. Uh, sure, let's just do Final Fantasy fourteen, right? We both used to play that together. We can both, you know, buy a quick sub and, and mess around and do that. Um, that's a very good episode. If you're if you're a patron, you should check that one out. That one's pretty funny. Um, and so then I was like, okay, well, now I have this sub to Final Fantasy fourteen. I guess I'll, you know, do some dungeons while doing some of the easier podcast edits and stuff, right? Um, and pausing a lot. It does slow down the edits, to be honest. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, and then while I'm in this state of, of playing more, um, f the Final Fantasy XIV Fan Fest occurred, the, the North American one. They have three. There's sort of a North American one, a European one, and a Japanese one staggered out across the year. And um, they announced the new expansion of Final Fantasy XIV Dawn Trail. And folks, Final Fantasy XIV is back. Some of those folks went to work on Final Fantasy 16 and make it nice and uh, nice and problematic, and they're back in full force. <laughs> Are, is it confirmed that Dawn Trail is written by the people who did um, Stormblood? I don't. I don't know if we have confirmation. So this is a thing that I, I um when this came out, I made several tweets about how dire this was, um and. Got a lot of support from people. Those those tweets kind of, you know, they they just doing numbers. Um, <laughs> but I also got like uh, only a few, but a couple of people being like, um, actually, you're misattributing things. And they're like the person who wrote, you know, the first three, like the, the base game and the next two expansions isn't writing on the team anymore. I'm like, you're right. They got promoted to like director of development. I'm sure they don't have any influence over the game anymore, idiot. <laughs> like, the writer has changed, but he didn't leave the project. He got promoted. He, he he's got, got more power. He's got even Idiots. More, he's got even more power. I tell you, like, I recently resubbed the Final Fantasy XIV because, like, I wanted to, um, there's some things I want to try out. Namely because, like, you know, I, you know, I just still enjoy the act of playing that game. And I would like mm -hmm. to play more of it. Um, recently, my wrist issue made it so that I had to play with controller. And I think I found a pretty comfortable setup for that. But, like, I remember playing through this and I look at my MSQ line and it's like, man, I just, like, I had I just threw the brakes when I ended up on, like, fucking Stormblood. Because after the high that was Heavensward, like, Stormblood was just, like, rough to get through. Yeah. I'll also mention that uh, it's a good thing you didn't receive that many negative comments, Six, because another friend of ours, Jackson, made similar points on Twitter, and they received some of the nastiest threats I've ever seen on Twitter. 
Yeah, um, for for anyone who isn't familiar with Jackson and myself, uh, they have, let's do some quick math here, 50 times the number of followers I do. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that tracks. I, I'm not saying that to excuse at all. Obviously, people are being toxic and, and shitty little gremlins. But, you know, yeah, they got a lot more attention than I do. That's That is what it is. I get it. <laughs> but, like... Yeah, so so they announced this expansion. This is seven point mm-hmm. What is the premise of seven point Um, so they introduced last expansion, not the current one, uh, which is Endwalker. Before that, in Shadowbringers, they introduced the Blue Mage class, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the backstory of the Blue Mage, uh, well, you know, I I won't comment. I'll present it before commenting, right? Um, there is a gentleman who's presented as something of a con artist who is back from the capital N, capital W, New World, and has learned secret magics from their indigenous tribes and is here to sell them to you for, for real cheap, right? Okay. Um, and then it's like, oh man, no, he actually brought some of the, some of the tribesmen back with him and they're like, oh, silly white man, but I guess we'll help your student for you so you can make money um and teach teach them the secret magics of the new world and that's the blue mage storyline right okay um let's follow up on that right that seemed like a really good plot thread that sounds super (laughs) awesome that sounds super great to have in this video game that has never had problems with (laughs) yeah that's we're gonna double back to some of the problems it already has but yeah as far as new problems um the premise premise is like literally uh naoki yoshida aka yoshi p um the p is for producer because he's the producer on the series Mm -hmm. um is uh is like oh it's your this is basically after all the the trauma and drama of last time this is basically a summer vacation right we're going to go to the new world you know and uh there are a bunch of the you know the tribes there i, I forget what the you know they have very like specifically walked back the phrasing of beast tribe right but you mm-hmm. kind of don't get to that's kind of still what you're doing yeah right um you're still talking about these like non-human intelligent species and their uncivilized ways. Um, and you're going to go to the new world and you're going to, you know, like the, the scions of the seventh dawn, which is like the group of heroes you've been part of since like level 20, right. Um, are now going to split in two to see who can colonize faster and interfere in elections and find the secret city of gold. All of this, like, I may be phrasing differently, but it literally is like, okay, let's explore this new land and make it our own and see who can do it faster. And also they're trying to find a new leader and we should probably pick it for them. And there's a lot of Mesoamerican architecture and it's just this really dire gang. Oh, hey, six. Uh, uh, yeah, what's up? Remember that episode of Outlaw Star where they go to the hot spring planet? I do remember that. Can't, didn't they introduce space travel at the end of Endwalker or something like that? Or at the beginning? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Okay, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, I don't know. There feels like there's like some narrative outs if you want to give the Scions a fucking summer vacation. Like, there's Fantasy Australia. We've never been there. Yeah, 
You could just like I don't know, like I. I think it's Maricidia is what it's called, but yeah, there's literally a fantasy Australia we've never visited. You could just you could just like go there and just have a bunch of wacky adventures. I don't know. Was this specific excursion Alphanaut's idea, by the way? Uh, unclear as of yet. We'll find out. Um, <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. That is what that boy is like. Because I remember that one bit, like, much earlier in the scheme of things for all these expansions, where he was like, I'm gonna create my own private spy army, and almost immediately it's like, oh shit, they've taken it over. This has gone super bad for me. <laughs> Turns out walking around and saying, do you want to have nearly unlimited power to random people who you haven't background checked was a bad idea, Alphanon. <laughs> um, yeah. And this is like, this is coming from a game that is like, yeah, we, we, you know, there's the, the beast tribe stuff, right? Um, which for anyone, I saw criticism of our friend Jackson, which I don't think is valid criticism anyway, but I'm still going to just address it. I'm still using that term because I stopped engaging with that content because it was so racist. I don't know their new term because I stopped doing it because it's fucking racist. Anyway. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and there's, that stuff's already in the game. We've already had, like, the fucking story of Stormblood, which has a whole lot of, like, victim blaming and race shit and, like, Oh no, you thought this, we have this, uh, woman antagonist and she's the only woman antagonist who's been portrayed as actually in charge of her own fate. But of course she's just a subject of abuse and we can't really hold her responsible for any of this. She's just a little girl who's caught up in the whims of all these men, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and also you have like, uh, a benevolent, benevolent millionaire who runs a casino, mansplaining to the empress about how charity is bad and we need to send these refugees to work in the salt mines and like literally like two days ago i think i was doing a quest chain set in uh ishgard the city where heaven's word occurs mm -hmm. where the plot of of Heaven's word is like, oh, we've we've long been at war with the dragons and it's this holy war against the dragons. But wait, maybe this war was unjust from the start, right? And where I, I have a quest where I'm walking with this guy to go deal with some problem. This is from the current expansion. And we're just walking through Ishgard and he stops to examine one of the statues of the founders. And he's like, gosh, we sure have figured out that these people were actually incredibly shitty and monsters. But we can't take down statues. That would be erasing history. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> fuck that. Did you not read your own story from Heavensward? I swear to God. Heavensward was so fucking good. Like, I had some problems with it, but it was pretty good. It was pretty it, it, Like, when it, like, I've never been an MMO person, but, like, it really was going through Heaven's Word that was like, oh, I kind of see why this, like, genre is appealing. Like, Heaven's Word is something that I, I hold very dearly. Mm -hmm. um, especially when, like, I, I got into the game, like, right around the start of the pandemic. And it was, like, it was, like, a comfort uh, to me, certainly. But, like, so maybe I'm holding it in slightly higher regard because of that. But also, Heaven's Word involves a war with a dragons. And it's so fucking cool. Yeah. Also, it involves a lot of dragoons, and dragoons are, by their very nature, really fucking cool. 
The yeah, yeah. So, wow, cool dragon. I just wow, cool dragons. <laughs> Meanwhile, their fucking work they're doing on on the new expansion includes like, oh, they're doing a retexture for for faces of characters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is good. A lot of them start to look like a little dated, right? Uh, also, it's kind of interesting with the before and after comparisons, how this team that was like black people aren't like aren't didn't exist in the Middle Ages. We can't put them in Final Fantasy 16 made all the faces lighter. Oh, no. It's uh... interesting, isn't it? And yet, right? And yet they were like, hey, guys, we're going to make hats and glasses, two different equipment slots, so you can wear a hat and glasses. And I was like, shit, I'm here day one. I'm fucking, I'm done. I'm lost, gang. Around the time of the announcements, I did see some black Final Fantasy XIV players being like, okay, are, are they going to fix the issue where we're practically invisible at night? So, yeah, they, they've had a lot of issues with different skin colors uh, mm-hmm. since this game launched. Yeah, yeah. And not just aesthetically, apparently, thanks to 16. We know also philosophically. Mm-hmm. It's it's very frustrating. Um, it, it really feels like the the fact that they made a game about slavery and didn't include black people in it, and the fact that then the fans went to bat for them and were like, if you think this is a problem, you're the racist has really emboldened them to be like, shit, we can just be as fucking alt-right as we want, and there's no consequences. It is... For as beloved as the game is, it's like... Final Fantasy XIV, to be clear, like... Man, it has its issues, huh? Yeah. The thing with an ongoing story is that, uh... The the game is only as good as, uh... It's last storyteller, and uh, they—that's why it's gone up and down in terms of quality per expansion. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly true. And I don't know. It's just really—it's really discouraging to see this direction. Like you know, some of the stuff, like like them, you know revising some of the the content around the tribes and stuff is like okay you have realized that this is not okay at least like whether you like realize what the problem is or you've just noticed people pushing back on it enough to make a change it's like okay maybe we're on a road to something better and it's like no no they don't understand what the problem is or they actively think it's not a problem they may change instances as people get angry they will introduce new problems faster than they will fix old ones. Mm-hmm. And this is all like the bad, like politics and like, you know, rep- and you know, it's, it's sometimes I feel it's dismissive to sum it up as politics. It's also just like portrayal and treatment of human beings. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, And so, because this is so bad, I don't get to discuss the fact that I'm like, also, this game's healing is fucking boring as hell. Also, you refuse the concept of character builds in a fucking MMO. Like, this game has mechanical problems, too, and we never get to talk about them because they're so busy sticking their hand on the next racist burner. There's so many of those. There's Stop so it. Put on a glove. 
<laughs> Don't touch the burner in the first place. Don't touch the burner. So, so, yeah, it's like, I find myself still excited for this because I want to be able to dye my clothes two different colors. I want to be able to dye primary and secondary color. I want to wear glasses and a hat. I don't want to go to the new world and civilize them. That's fucked up. Yeah. So, Science of the Seventh Dawn should find <laughs> a different vacation plans. Should log off. Alphanod, go to jail. <laughs> wow. Thancred, go to hell. <laughs> Got any more? <sighs> You're still, uh, you're problematic, but, you know, listen. Listen. You're snarky, and I like that. (laughs) (laughs) This is the problem! (laughs) And Tatru did nothing wrong. That's not true! Not true? That's not true. We've talked about, I think on here, about how Tataru, though I do love that character generally, was like... Actually, another instance of, like, you need a vacation. Here's this island you can go civilize and turn it into a capitalist hellscape. Oh, uh, right. I forgot that she's the <laughs> one who introduces the farming mechanics and stuff. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, man. <laughs> Tatsu warned us. Here's your army of slave robots. You do have to give them rest, though, because they are, in fact, sentient. Oh, cool. cool. This makes this way better. Thanks, Tataru. The The number of expansions and additions like that has me realizing, you know, sometimes it's a good thing when MMOs just decide, yeah, we're done for now. We're just going to keep it running, but we're on to the next thing. Because at this point, it seems like they could just use a whole new restart. A realm reborn, reborn. or just a different realm take us to a different place I think just put different people in charge of the direction of the story yeah like I I am sure Yoshi P works hard right I don't know that I think his work is to a good end frankly I don't know that he's doing this game an actual service because if you think that this MMO project with hundreds of people working on it, was salvaged because of one producer who talks good on Twitter? No. There's a talented team behind him that has to do what he says, and the big picture stuff is bad. Yeah, and if you look at the PR cycle for Final Fantasy sixteen, he doesn't even talk that good. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He's he's given serious questions, and he doesn't know what the fuck to do with them, other than put his foot in his mouth. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I am over Yoshi P. I am over a lot of the the writing in this game, and. I don't... The The worst thing is, name a better MMO right now. It's a race to the bottom. WoW gave up. It's a disaster out here. I have heard good things about Elder Scrolls Online. Like, apparently they got that to a condition where it's doing a lot of interesting things, and it's, like, exploring all sorts of various areas that... Uh, have been ignored by Bethesda for a while just because, like, they can't make games as big as Daggerfall anymore. I mean, godspeed to anyone who is enjoying 
Elder Scrolls Online. I think all the Elder Scrolls games suck, and the idea of making an even bigger one has zero appeal to me. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I think I think Bethesda might be the developer with the biggest budget to talent disproportionate ratio. You see, we can only we have to track every sandwich in the universe, you guys. That's the thing yeah. they said recently. They did say that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I uh, I used to be a big MMO fan. I used to be a gotcha game fan. Don't be fans of things, especially in games. <laughs> it's just not. It's not going to go your way. I think it's fine to be a fan as long as you're able to be critical of the thing you're going through. Or the thing you're experiencing. <laughs> yeah, we're going through it with Final Fantasy XIV. <laughs> uh, I just mean you're going to get disappointed. I just mean all these things are, like, until we pull out of the spiral of late-stage capitalism and alt-right hate, everything is going to get worse. <sighs> Might as just a slightly more positive pivot as we go to the ending here. Sure, sure. What you got? Well, what is something you worked on in the last month that you were really proud of? This was at the beginning of of June that I put this out, um, though it is going to be getting an update before this hits. So there'll be this will be an updated version of this. Hey, Six, updating that uh, GBO2 guide is proving a lot more work than you thought, huh? Oh, yeah, it sure is. Uh, it's uh, thousands and thousands of words. It's definitely running late. Oh, sorry. 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 Um... I wrote a guide. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote a big old thing helping people get into Gun to Battle Operation 2, which is a game I now have over 200 hours in. I think it's a very fun game with a lot of problems and a lot of oddities to it and things it doesn't explore. And I am proud of like the work I did on that. And, and I think it's a genuinely like helpful without telling you things that you already know guide. I... Like, reading it, like, I was able to very intelligently lose the first several matches of GBO, too. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew why I was losing, you see. Like, that's, like, that's, I think, the problem with, like, any new game, or any game that is new to you, is that sometimes mm-hmm. you will lose, and you don't know why you're losing. But after reading that guide and playing a couple games of gbo2 i was like oh i know why i am losing like i should not have gotten out of the the mobile suit i should not have done this this that i panicked Mm -hmm. in a moment and it was like it's it's really good thank you thank Mm -hmm. you uh jen what about you well aside from the novel not new episode we did together like the one on tron legacy and uh summer's end which i i think we did a pretty good job on um I, since we last recorded one of these, I also put out an article that was basically just going into four very recent uh, indie horror games that had released on Steam and just uh, checking them out. And uh, I'm really proud of the critique I did there. And uh, it was neat to see the developers themselves, for several of them, reach out and basically tell me how they how much they appreciated my criticism and also the bits of the game that I was into. Yeah, it was cool to like 
I feel like we very often like play games here and there, and sometimes then we'll we'll come back and be like, oh, here's how I felt about this game. Um, and I think you started out with the premise of like, let me see sort of like what state the genre is in. And then also through the course of writing that article, you're like, I think this is, I think that's like, the genre is too big and the work is being done here is too different for that to make sense, which I think is a, is a cool outcome, right? Yeah, I tried to find like a thematic through line for these four games, but uh, ultimately they were so different and they were all doing their own thing that uh, it was much more satisfying and useful to talk about them on their own terms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what what could have, like, been forced to be about how, like, this trend in the in the genre actually ended up being about, like, how many different things and different ideas people are exploring now. Yeah. Kyrie, what about you? What's your pick? Since the last time we recorded one of these, like, properly, God, we did just, like, a fascinating episode of, like, Ultra, like Ultimate Despair Reprise, in which we covered the Danganronpa 2 stage play. And that was one, we had a really energetic and excited guest to come on who was really passionate about the thing, about like the stage play itself. And it was just like, I, I, I kind of want to see more anime adaptation stage plays because it's such a weird cottage industry that exists in Japan, but that is largely inaccessible because a lot of those DVDs have not been translated, but it is a fascinating process to think about like, how do we turn, you know, how would one turn a visual novel or a story-based game or anything like that? And like, how do you adapt what people like about a thing onto the stage? And it was really fascinating to kind of go through that and watch that. Yeah, it was a cool episode. Uh, I, I definitely enjoyed it as a person who, like, I haven't played through Danganronpa 2 in a while. And so I think, like, talking about the differences, it ended up being a very, like, both parsable and interesting, but also kind of an effective refresher on how that story went, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that I found really enjoyable. Your guest was fun, too. Yeah. And, yeah, like, I I watched a little bit of, like, the Danganronpa 3 stage play, which is, like, future side stuff and that hasn't been necessarily translated or i think it has i just need to find the subtitle file and it's like it's really cool and it there's a whole there's a whole media landscape out there (laughs) turns out yeah watching performed shit whether it's live or after the fact like stage stuff it it's very entertaining and it's a very different type of acting and set dressing and all that sort of stuff. And uh, it's just really fun to see it in action. All right. Well, we're going to take it to the close here. Uh, We'll go ahead and go through in the same order and do some, uh, some plug stuff here. Uh, Jen, why don't you tell people where to find you? Okay. Um, I'm on, I'm at JPU three on Twitter though. These days I mostly just post promotional stuff there where I, Post more than promotional stuff tends to be co-host at a Jen hyphen and hyphen Aster or blue sky at a spooky cute witch. And uh, yeah, most of my work is on scanlinemedia.com or patreon.com slash scanlinemedia. Uh, Kyrie, what about you? I know I said the same order, but then I went in the middle and that fucked everything up. Kyrie, what oh, about no. you? 
oh no the order uh you can find me on co-host kyrie page that's where you'll find me i'm gonna try and post there more often um gonna talk about like trading cards and like article ideas i'm working on and things like that um but yeah find me on co-host uh that's i'm trying to get off of twitter because it's 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 it has somehow gotten worse and it will continue to get worse it will continue to get worse but co-host is all right yeah um i can be found at six detmar on most services well i guess okay let's say twitter blue sky technically and and co-host like my my two friends here pretty much you want to find me on co-host if you want to actually see content i will do a little on twitter just out of momentum and also you can dm me there uh, Blue Sky, I just have the account because why not? I don't use it. Also, if you want to send us messages in general, emails at scanlinemedia.com. Word up. But that's it for this month here on Refresh Rate. Uh, we'll be back another time, another place. Peace out. See ya. Later. Later.